at some point we should try and find the uh, uh, the the old Hockey Night in Canada theme song and lead in with that. I wasn't sure what the CBC's policy is regarding like if this falls under parody or what, because I know that they can be somewhat protective of that trademark. Yeah. But we yeah. can figure that out. I mean, I, until we get some sort of cease and desist. That'll uh, all be fine. Yeah. yeah. If that happens, we'll know we've made it. Hello and welcome to episode number one of Hoppy Night in Canada. My name's Dave. And I'm John. Um, uh, yep. Good start. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, Dave, do you want to fill in a little bit of background for the... I guess it's weird talking to listeners because they're technically theoretical listeners, but um, a little bit of background on 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 how this whole idea got started. Well, um, I recently joined, you know, say 2008 in starting to listen to podcasts. Uh, it started out as listening to a lot of hockey-based podcasts. I was like, man, I enjoy podcasts. I would like to start doing something myself. And I thought... You know, what is it that I know about that I could talk about? Clearly, I'm not I'm not an expert enough about hockey as some of the people who I actually listen to. And I would like and I also want to do this with one of my friends. And so I pitched the idea of what do you think of a beer podcast to John? And that kind of it kind of grew legs from there. Yeah. And I was in like I, I it seems it seemed like a fun idea. Um, and certainly whenever we see each other in person um because i guess that's one of the things to fill in we live across the country from each other um but whenever we see each other in person we uh, tend to spend a good amount of time talking about beer and and drinking beer as well well that too yes that's <laughs> that's an essential part of the equation yes yes anyhow yeah um and i wanted sort of tangentially of a lot of this i know that we've both kind of talked about uh i have been considering going and starting with uh, Cicerone certification, which for the view, for the listeners who don't know is essentially a beer sommelier program, um, which is kind of a simplification, but that's the easiest way to, to compare it. And I think that uh, having something, an outlet like this would be an interesting way to sort of move through Cicerone training. Yeah, and I, and I've also been looking at things like that. I mean, I I would I would classify myself as sort of on the level of of enthusiastic amateur uh, when it comes to beer, and and I've been interested in getting uh, a little bit more into it. And, and I've also been looking at either Cicerone or possibly uh, Prudhomme, which is uh, one of the other Canadian sort of beer education programs, which ironically has a uh, a ranking of of it, uh, which is beer sommelier. Um, so well, there you go. There you huh. go. In general, uh, I would say I've been drinking, well, I've, I, the first beer I had, I was probably 15, <laughs> but um, I, and it was likely a something out of the, uh, I'm losing track, I, I can't remember the name now, um, one of the, one of the old craft breweries in BC that was purchased by Labatt's, um, I can't remember, my, my dad used to drink. My dad never drank really good beer, but he, being in the vein of sort of a local, like a, a local supporting, supportive kind of guy, he drank beer that was made locally. So he drank a lot of Vancouver Island, um, but for a long time he was drinking, uh, they had the 420 lager and uh Shaftbury Shaftbury cream ale was my dad's go-to for a long time and so I think the first beer I ever drank was probably a, a stolen Shaftbury cream ale from my dad <laughs> pretty good it keeping it local before before craft was was craft I guess <laughs> that's right also there's there's, there's statute of limitations on on underage drinking probably let's hope so uh, probably first five minutes incarcerate yourself yes <laughs> incriminate that's not the right word anyway yes, yes. Um, and then, but then when, when I got to university where you and I met, uh, I was drinking a lot of Pacific Pilsner from great, from, uh, great Northern brewery. Classic. Um, a lot of old style Pilsner and a lot of Kokanee. And then definitely in, I think second year, my second year university, I discovered what I tell everybody is my gateway beer, which was. Granville Island's Kitsilano Maple Cream Ale. Oh, another classic. <laughs> and 
they've they've actually they phased it out for a while and they've re- they've recently brought it back as it's called it's got a new name it's called Sh- maple shack cream ale or something like that now <laughs> and i had one recently it's brutal <laughs> <laughs> the times change and the taste change with them yeah exactly exactly but that after tr- after finally you know trying after trying Kit's Maple Cream, that was the point at which it was like, okay, I can't go back to drinking Kokanee anymore. That was my sort of my 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 watershed moment. So pages turned, and you're firmly in the in the craft beer camp. Yep, yep. the The other real sort of watershed moment for me was when I met uh, through university. It was when I met Graham Witt, who's the brewmaster at Parallel Forty Nine in Vancouver, and he had already started. He was already home, well into home brewing at that time, and was you know into really good beer. Um, and so that was, I guess, sort of the second watershed for me was I, you know, met Graham and he was just like, no, you shouldn't drink bad beer. Here's a good beer that I made at home. It was <laughs> awesome. I think the first beer he ever gave to me was a, um, a barley wine that he had made and he had, it had been aging for a while. And like, it actually tasted like raisins and all of these other great flavors that barley wines are supposed to have. And it was awesome. That's, that's a pretty big, like headfirst drop into kind of different bigger beer styles like you go yeah. go full bore right with the barley wine it really was it really was yeah because i i, I want to say like i i think i had a sort of similar trajectory um i mean i didn't my first memory of of tasting beer was um when i was much younger i like i didn't like it at all um so when i first tried beer i was, I was much younger and I, I think i got a sip of my dad's beer and i distinctly remember telling him that anyone who enjoyed a taste like this probably hated themselves <laughs> um and i ran with that for a good period of time um so when i came to university i tried to find something that that i could have around and like because i didn't really drink um you know beer seemed like a good choice because you can just have one and you can also buy them six at a time and so i'd be set for like two months um and i think even then i had this weird like the snobbery born of ignorance of just like i knew walking in that i was too good you know for bud light so i was like oh no i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the classiness i'm gonna go with the heineken (laughs) and maybe the corona on a special occasion yep um and then i think probably after a couple months like I started thinking, uh, cause I grew up in the States, I guess is a bit of background. So I grew up in San Diego um, and I went to university in Vancouver. And so I started thinking, well, I'm in Canada. I should start drinking Canadian beer, you know, get it local. Um, so I feel like my go-tos were, you know, your Sleeman Honey Browns, your Rickards Red. Um, and, yep. and, and I think like I, I had an awareness that there was other beer out there. Um, like I remember at some point I got to try a uh, Maudit from Unibrew yep. in probably in first year. And I had that same reaction of just like, if you like this taste, you probably hate yourself. Like that, the, you know, it was it was big and flavorful and different. And like, I just wasn't used to it. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and I want to say, like, at some point, as we got to know each other through university, I, I probably all credit to you that I started trying different types of beer. I think by the time I had an IPA for the first time, like, that was the sort of first turning point for me where I was suddenly like, oh, like, this is great because it's bitter and different and there's there's flavor going on. It, it actually feels like drinking something. Um and I was I was in on that road for for a couple of years, and then yeah, I I also had the sort of the second point of getting into craft beer was probably through homebrewing. And again, I think all credit to you because by the time I got into it uh, with a friend of mine, then you were already homebrewing, and you kind of showed us the ropes and like where to go to buy stuff. And at that point, I feel like it shifted from beer for me shifted at that point to something that was a hobby in and of itself. Because in order to, you know, make beer, at first we started like, you know, you make a pale ale, you make an IPA, um, but then suddenly it was like, oh, there's all these other styles that we can make, but we also have no idea what they taste like. So it's time to go do research. Like if we want to try and make, you know, an imperial stout, we need to know what an imperial stout tastes like. And so from that point on, I feel like that was that turning point as well, where homebrew kind of opened the door to just how many styles there were and what kind of the, the depths you could get into in terms of exploring Beer. it definitely helps for sure uh i remember when i like the when i first started homebrewing it was with some friends back in nanaimo and it was 
the the kits where you would buy pre-made wort and all you had to do was put that in a in a clean tub, sprinkle yeast on the top, let it sit for a, for a couple of weeks and then bottle it. And so there was no recipes to anything like that, but at the same time, I thought it was great cuz I had made it. Yeah. Yeah, there's also that. There's that pride in having sort of created this thing yourself. Exactly, exactly. And then, but then once I started, it actually really helped for me. It helped brewing with Lewis, our mutual friend. Um, that he he when he started brewing, he said, "Nope, I'm not going to do that kit stuff or anything like that. We're going straight through to gr- to brewing, like from grain. We'll use some extract because it just saves space and whatnot, but." Yeah, I'm not doing any brew kits that somebody else has made for me <laughs> going all the way. And that, that helped me a lot. Um, but you're totally right. Like when you get, when you start, once, once you're kind of tired of making pale ales, because there's only so many times you can make the same pale ale recipe before you get a little bit bored. Oh, for sure. Then it's time to, you know, go get into exciting new beer. Uh, so that pretty much concludes i guess our background on interesting on our beer interest yeah that's Um, that i think that sort of brings us up to to present day i mean the only other bit i guess is that yeah so we we knew each other in vancouver we're both quite into beer and then i moved to toronto about three years ago now and since then you know i've had a chance to check out because again like vancouver was this sort of intro uh for me to to craft beer and its possibilities which is a little bit ironic because like San Diego is one of the craft beer capitals of the U.S. Um, yeah. So then the benefit is as going home to visit, I suddenly got to, to experience all this new stuff. But coming to Toronto a couple of years ago and then starting to, to get a lay of the land of what craft beer is like in Toronto itself and in Ontario overall and, and getting this sort of compare and contrast mode of, of what I knew in Vancouver and what I was experiencing here. Um, so yeah, like bringing it to present day when, when you had the suggestion of, of a podcast for this, like I, I thought it was great in the sense that we've got you on the West coast. Um, I'm in, I always call it the East coast. I know it's not, but like in my head, it's, you know, Eastern Canada, whatever. As as I, I'm, I totally a hundred percent agree. As far as I'm concerned, Toronto is on the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) I don't, it's, yeah, I always think like, I know it's pretty much center of the country. Well, not quite. It's it's east of center, but it's very much the middle of the country. But whenever I think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, Toronto definitely touches the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, anything around it, I mean, and that just plays into to the mentality now that I've lived in Toronto for a couple of years of I do live in the center of the universe. So yep. um, it makes complete sense. Um, yep. But yeah, it's also it's also my my American upbringing coming through. We're just like, well, every important city is on the East Coast. And, you know, so that's Toronto. Sure. Whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, but, yeah. But, but getting an, you know, an idea of having a, a podcast, I mean, specifically for Canadian beer, but also getting the perspective of, you know, um, people on different sides of the country. And when it comes to not only the, the type of beer and the trends that are happening, but the availability, the sort of weird legal state that beer is in in so many places in Canada. Um, I figured it would be a, like it, it seemed like a really good idea when you when you proposed it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited. So I think for, for our listeners, this being the first episode, uh, we're planning on, you know, recording once every couple of weeks, probably. I don't think we'll have any kind of a fixed schedule, but we'll do semi-regular updates. Each episode will go through two or three topics. I think today we've done our background. Uh, and then I guess our next topic is, uh, look back at what 2015 had for beer in Canada, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's the beginning of the new year, and yeah, definitely, it feels like there were there were a lot of trends that that seemed to make themselves known in 2015, and so yeah, we wanted to kind of tackle a couple of those and highlight them, and and uh, and probably we'll end up talking a little bit about what what we hope 2016 has to offer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the biggest trend that I found in 26 in 2015, which very near and dear to my heart, and I know yours as well, was sour beers. And I, I don't know what it's like in Toronto. I know you guys have Bellwoods, which is the one, which is the only brewery, actual Toronto-based brewery, aside from, you know, your steam whistles and your mill streets, that I'm familiar with is the Bellwoods one. Yeah. But uh, in Vancouver, at least, it seemed if you weren't brewing a sour, you weren't a legitimate brewery. <laughs> Almost. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but the amount of sour beer that came out was incredible. Now, not all of it was great. 
because it is a tough style. Yeah, and it's and it's one that everyone. I mean, the the big thing that I noticed with Toronto, you were seeing a lot of places starting to do you know Brett beers, so yeah. not necessarily sour, but you were getting you know. Um, brewed with 100% Brett. And so you had some of that sourness coming in. Kind of a funky sort of thing going on. Yeah, exactly. And and I feel like sours are one of those tough things where it's it's simultaneously like a wide open field and yet there's certain kind of hard set expectations as to what yeah. you're getting into when you get a sour. And that was actually one of the things that I found was like there were a number of, of beers that purported to be um, sours or that were 100% Brett or something like that over the year that I kind of came away from a little bit disappointed, not because they were bad, but because they weren't hitting that sort of that funk, that tartness, that that sourness that I was expecting in a beer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it, it it is tough. And I think part of that comes down to the fact that because it's such a sort of new thing, and there are a lot of people that you know, there's there's breweries in Belgium that have been brewing sours for, you know, decades um, and, and wild ales and everything. But it's still even and I consider myself and you know both of us to be, like you said, a, a, an amateur, but at the same time, a very well informed amateur. Um, I, I think of myself kind of fairly forward thinking when it comes to beer. But even so, my exposure to sour beers is still quite limited. Oh yeah, and 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 as is mine. I mean, my my big like, I want to say the the first time I kind of got wind or started to get interested in in sour beers more than just a sort of one off when I got to try one um, was, uh, I think it was the year that I that I left Vancouver actually, but um, catching wind of or like becoming aware of Zwanzi Day. Yeah. Um, which that year in Vancouver was, I guess it would have been because I know it's it's at Beercraft now, but that would have been the last year that um, Alibi Room had it. Yeah. And in order to get a ticket, you had to go to a, a different night, like a month in advance, and get entered into a raffle for yeah. a ticket to Zwanzi Day. Now, the nice part that they did was they set up um, the the raffle night itself was sort of a sour beer exhibition night, but it was all it was locals and it was stuff from um, mostly in the Pacific Northwest. So you had a lot of stuff coming in from Oregon and Washington as well. Um, and of that course, was yeah. that was sort of one of my first exposures to to sours as a concept. Um, and yeah, since then, like it's, it's done nothing, but seem to get more and more popular as far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things, one of the things in Vancouver, at least that I think is really driving the sours is that we had Vancouver had an absolute explosion of breweries opening in the last, you know, three years, let's say. Um, and finally some of those breweries that right when they first opened started a barrel program are starting to see the rewards of those barrel programs yeah. because they take time. And that's one, I think that's one of the reasons that sours, well, they, I know that's one of the reasons that some sours end up being more expensive, but because they're risky and they take more time. So, but it's hard for a new brewery to put out a barrel aged sour because they've, if they've only been in the market for six months, how are they going to have a sour, right? Yeah, and and I I also imagine that I mean especially when it comes to new breweries opening because I feel like Toronto's had this as well where it's the additional space concern of like not only are you you're setting up you need the brewing equipment you need the capital for that the space for a tasting room or a bottle shop or all these sorts of things and then in addition the idea that you need some dedicated space just for barrel aging which yeah. is like it's it's important but it's it's unusable space a hundred percent of the time um, so factoring that in I imagine. Like this is one of those things that I get very curious about in terms of of the business of starting a brewery, but I know here, yeah, in in Toronto there will be a number of places who it's like step one, get the space, get open, or start with contract brewing or something like that, develop up the recipes, and then eventually, like down the road, there's the idea of like maybe we get more space or maybe we find some space in an existing area um, to start that barrel aging program. But at that yeah. point, like you say, there's there's the time to start the program, and then there's the time to let it actually come to fruition. Yeah. Um, so there is that long wait time. And yeah, I think that's a really good point with Vancouver where like the explosion from a couple of years ago is now finally seeing that sort of all of those things come to maturity. Yeah. Yeah. And in Vancouver, the first, sort of the considered kind of the patron saint of sour beers was is Ian Hill, uh, who used to be the brewmaster at Yaletown Brew Pub, um, now has his own brewery called Strange Fellows. Um, and 
he's he used to have a fairly fairly well known and well recognized out Bruin that he made once a year in uh, at Yaletown. And I remember hearing a pretty funny anecdote of the first time he made that. And now Bruin is a Belgian style uh, sour brown beer that is barrel aged. Um, and I remember hearing the uh, like a, a fairly funny anecdote of the first time he brewed that. He 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 made two barrels of it, and they were just sitting in his office. He didn't have any barrel space <laughs> because he had proposed it. To, he had proposed like a sour program to his bosses at Yale Town. I guess the owners of the Mark James group and they were kind of leery about it. Um, and so I guess he found, found himself a supply of a couple of barrels, filled them without Bruin and sent, and, uh, um, sat them in his office. And I guess, I don't know whether this is true or not. Cause I heard this anecdotally, but, uh, I guess at one point one of the bosses came in and asked him about the barrels and he said, Oh, they're just decorative. I have them here because I like them in my office. That's that's a, that's a pretty good play. I mean, if you know, you're just like, listen, I know that in the long run, this, this pays out. Like that's, that's a remarkable amount of confidence, but to say like, well, you got to get it done any way you can. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that was, that was that out brewing is how, and I think actually the Ian Hills out brewing was probably the first sour beer I ever tried. And it is, it's awesome. To this day, it's awesome. I look forward to Strange Fellows putting it out. Yeah, it's it's that same, I mean, and this is where, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've lived in Toronto for a couple of years. And so I can't, I can't necessarily speak with authority on the sort of history of, of brewing in Toronto. But like, to my knowledge, as someone who currently lives in Toronto, um, yeah, in, in that same way, like Bellwoods is the sort of the brewery in town that pushes sours. Um, and like, there's so much that they do when it comes to doing Brett barrel age things and they have their sort of yearly, uh, release of Motley Crue, which is different every year, but it's always aged. Um, like this year was a, a sour red. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, I actually just had, uh, one of theirs last night, which is their Farmageddon, which is the Brett, uh, barrel age Saison. Oh, that sounds amazing. It's fantastic. Oh, um, that sounds so good. Yeah. So, and and like, I'm just, I'm actually looking at their website right now. Like right now, you know, on tap, they've got a dry hop sour. They've got the Brett Barrel Age Saison um, in bottles. They've got um, Barn Owl, which is a sour series that they're doing. They've got a Brett Barrel Age Porter. They've got Sour Brett aged in tequila barrels. Like they're, they're nonstop with this. That's, um, that's amazing. That sounds awesome. And so, yeah, it's like for me, for my money, like... Um, it's funny because you mentioned that that sours can sometimes end up a, a little bit pricier, usually to, as far as I understand, yeah, to accommodate both the time it takes to make and the investment in materials and things. Um, and yeah, so I, I know there are some people in town who will sometimes kind of point at Bellwoods because when they do a special release, you know, a bottle can be 11, 12 bucks, but like it's worth it. It's some of the best beer in Toronto. Oh, like, definitely. I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, like even if you're going to buy like a single bottle and have it right away or you buy a couple and hold on to them, like it's it's absolutely worth it because they're making top notch sour beer. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And there's in BC, the breweries that make sort of the I say the most slash the best sour beers are Driftwood in Victoria, um, Four Winds in Delta. And then Strange Fellows has started to do it as well. Um, and so there are other breweries, like lots of other breweries are making other ones, but those are kind of the best. And I'm actually, it's funny because I'm just looking at, I've got a shelf full of beer in the room that, it, that I'm currently recording in. <laughs> um, and I look, I've got one bottle sitting at the back of the shelf. I've got one bottle of the Lustrum, which is the which was Driftwood's five-year anniversary, like five, fifth anniversary beer that they made. Um, and it was... Uh, I think a red ale that they aged in, they aged in wine barrels with uh, black currants, and it was amazing. I bought, I think, five bottles of it, and I've got, I believe, just the one left. 
and yeah, it's just it's I've been meaning to open it on a special occasion and just haven't had a chance to. It's recently. one of those that yeah, you want to you want to hold on to. I feel like that was the one that you actually sent to me in the mail. Which it was maybe it was. further self incrimination, but um, <laughs> it was fantastic. It was. I I got yeah. a thing in the mail and I had no idea what it was. Open it up and it's a bottle of beer with a note from Dave. It says this was this was too good and I just had to send it over. Exactly, it that, it, and it was it was amazing. So yeah, I've got a bottle of the Lustrum. I've got um, Steel and Oak, which is one of the new breweries in in it's in New Westminster. They just put out a beer called Tortuga, which is a wild ale aged in rum barrels. So I'm excited to try that one. I haven't. I've got a bottle of it sitting on, and then I've got a couple of bottles of a beer called Wild Child, which is the first of a special edition series that the Longwood Brewery made. And Longwood is the brew pub in my hometown in Nanaimo. And they've just recently, or they, they opened up a production facility. They used to just brew out of the brew pub, but they've opened up a production facility and they started doing a special series at the production facility. And the Wild Child is their first one. And it's a wild ale with aged with blackberries and raspberries, I think. Um, and it was really good. My, that sounds really good. It was really good. My, uh, I wasn't sure if we were gonna if we were gonna see any of it in Vancouver because it was a kind of limited release. Um, so I put my I put my folks on the case of you know can you pick me up some of this? And so at Thanksgiving last year I think it was, um, they they came down and my dad had bought me like six bottles of this <laughs> stuff. And every now and then I get a text message from him. Um, with just a picture of a bottle because he's opened up one of his bottles because he bought I think he bought a case of it. That uh, is which pretty is, great. Which is kind of the way my dad is. My if I ask my dad to get something, he gets a lot of it. <laughs> but yeah, so sour, I mean, sour beers are kind of taken over, and in it, like we mostly have been talking about um, the sort of the the barrel and the breadage stuff, which does take a lot more time. Um, but the one thing that is kind of allowing more breweries to start doing sours these days is that the local breweries have started a technique that's called kettle souring. Mm-hmm. Um, now this I don't know much about, so I'm actually I'm actually curious to hear about this. So I also like it's not exactly my forte, but kettle souring is, I guess, the most classic example of kettle soured beers are Berliner Weisses. Ah, uh, okay. And which a Berliner Weiss uh, for the listeners is. It's a light wheat beer that is soured, and traditionally it's sort of a summer beer in Germany, and it, it usually will come with some type of syrup that you add to it to you, whatever your strength is. The syrups are usually like a red fruit, like cherry or raspberry or strawberry, or traditionally a green one, which is made of wormwood. Um, really? Yeah. And they're nice. It, I really like Berliner Weisses. When they're well-made, they're they're tart, but not super sour. They're light, they're refreshing, and they're usually only about 3.5%, which is kind of nice. Um, but the way that kettle souring works is the basically the beer will be the beer will be mashed, and the and what is essentially wort will be added to the brew kettle. Um, at that point, a culture of souring bacteria, and I don't know exactly what the culture is. I think it's probably lactobacillus, but I'm not sure, um, is added to that. It's allowed to go for a day or two, so it gets sour then, and then they start the actual the boil for the brewery or for the brewing. Okay. Um, so it's basically it's soured pre-boil. That's interesting. Because um, then all the bugs, the bugs the bacteria is killed in the boil but the the sour character at that point would still be would still be in the beer i guess exactly exactly and it's 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 basically i believe is the byproduct the sour character is acetic acid okay um and so yeah that is my understanding that's how kettle souring works Mm -hmm. yeah you have the small amount of or the short amount of time of the the souring bacteria added and then they go about the brewing process as it normally is. So the actual time investment is a lot shorter. Right. And it's going to be, it sounds like a different, it's going to be a different character of beer. I mean, just thinking back to my experiences with, with, yeah, like Berliner Weiss versus um, a sort of sour or barrel aged um, using Brett usually. 
Um, yeah. Then yeah, it's going to be a different character, but like the the benefit at least is for a brewery looking to start getting into souring beers, it's the time investment is going to be a lot less, and and the likelihood of you know you age something for a year and then it turns out it's no good like that you at least lower the risk there. Exactly, exactly. And so there have been some good kettle sours that have come out. A lot of the breweries in Vancouver that sort of recently either recently started and put out a sour right away or just recently started with sours um their beers have been kettle sours and i mean most of them are fine like i'll usually try them if they're on a, if they're on a menu somewhere where i am i'll try the sour and usually they're good um particularly the one that really stood out last year for me of the kettle sour beers was uh parallel 49 did a beer called apricotopus and it was an apricot kettle soured saison see that sounds that sounds interesting that sounds quite good though it was really good it wasn't very sour it was just a like just a sort of an almost like effervescent sourness on the finish um so like it obviously wasn't soured for a long time um and so it was just like just the slightest amount of sour it had the the cool like the the awesome saison sort of character that matched well with that and then they just added a small amount of apricot juice for the flavor. It was really good. Pretty great. Yeah, so sours are definitely the uh, the, the biggest trend I found in 2015. Yeah, and I, I think I'd agree. I think the, the one other trend, and I don't have much to say about it because I'm, I'm not sure. I, I get pros and cons from it, but like the one other trend that I can think of is... Actually, it's interesting you mentioned like the, the um, brew pub in... Uh, not Tofino, going blank, Nanaimo, Nanaimo. Um, that you mentioned, um, but starting a, a, a series. And again, this might just be me only observing it in 2015, so I, I'm not going to call it uh, with with any sort of accuracy. But like the one thing I noticed that a couple of uh, breweries started doing were not just one-offs, but one-off series. So uh, what's coming to mind first is like, is um, Bellwoods has a series called Barn Owl. So they've yeah. done three variants on it and they're all different. They're all sours. Um, but they, they all have something slightly different going on. Um, what the difference is, is escaping me at the moment. Um, but another one that you see in terms of series is like single hop series, right? Where, um, you get the, the exact same, um, the exact same beer. And the only thing that's changing is the single hop that they're using. Um, and again, there's, there's a couple of breweries here that have started doing that. Bellwoods is one that comes to mind, um, that has their monogamy series. Um, which I've had a number of them and, and obviously like it depends on the hot character and, and how much you like that. Um, but some of them have definitely been really good, but I find it interesting. Cause like, I'm, I, I mean, in my mind, like I'm very used to the notion of one-off beers and if you miss it, that's it. Maybe they'll brew it again at some other point, but like tough luck. Um, and I find, I find the, the, the series thing a little bit interesting. Cause it, on the one hand, it means that like, if you miss the first round, you know, you can get another one that's going to be very similar not the same, but, but you can expect certain things from it. Um, and on the other hand, I feel like I have a slightly cynical notion of it, it drives a sort of hype machine. Um, because if you create these series and make them sort of intentionally, uh, low volume and then make each one a little different, then you've just made an exclusive out of what could be a a regular beer that you make. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like I, I see it both ways and I can definitely see that notion of like, um, creativity in the brewery of being able to make small tweaks to a recipe and see what changes come out. Like, I think that that's probably really valuable and it's probably a really fun thing to do, but definitely on my cynical days, there's this feeling of like, yeah, but now suddenly everything's an exclusive, like everything is a one-off and I have to worry about missing, you know, beer X when I had something that was super similar, but all the same, it's still slightly different. And so I have to get it. Yeah, it's it's funny. That is like I have that same sort of feeling and I came it really it manifested like the like the the desire it was almost for me it was like a a, a FOMO kind of thing, like a fear of missing out. Oh, for sure. Um and it really that really manifested for me a couple of years ago with um with buying like winter cellar beers. Yeah. Um like I bought it was maybe like 2012 um granville island put out uh barley wine and so i went down to the the granville island uh tap house or like the ground yeah the granville island brewery tap house on granville island and bought six or seven bottles of it and carried it home and like i've still probably got five of those (laughs) bottles sitting somewhere in my storage locker and like it was an okay beer um 
But yeah, it was also that it was the same sort of thing with like every year Singularity Driftwood puts out Singularity, which is their um, Russian Imperial Stout, and it always just flies. Yeah. Um, same thing in the fall, they put out uh, Satori Harvest. Which yeah, is I was thinking like Satori Harvest is that is that quintessential for me? Um, that like it, if um, you know for listeners, Satori Harvest is is the the fresh hot beer um, that gets put out every year uh, from Driftwood and. Uh, yeah, like it. I, I distinctly remember like the last one that came out was just before I left Vancouver, and um, I went down and I just like hung around by the liquor store because they knew they were getting the shipment that day, and I I never felt weirder than when I stood there and like for the third time asked the guy like, "Hey, is it here yet?" And he's like, "You're really just gonna wait here until it gets here." And I was like, "Well, yeah," because I was also moving, so I I left my job, I had nothing left to do, and I was leaving Vancouver for good in two days, so I was literally like, "I have nothing better to do with my time." Um, and I ended up buying like three bottles and I couldn't drink three beers before I left Vancouver. So I just gave two of them away in the end. Yeah. But it yeah, was that it, weird feeling of like, once, once you did the thing and I was like, so worried about getting it and I finally got it. And then I was just like, oh, I got to buy uh, three. And then for some reason I walked away. And as soon as I was out of that headspace, I was like, why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. It's, and I, I, uh, I, I came to terms with missing stuff a while ago, like a couple of years ago, I finally, I got to a point where I was like, there's a lot of beer putting, being put out. Some of it's better than others. A lot of it's really good. Some of it's exclusive and I'm going to miss it. And it, it was just that, like, I had to make that realization that I'm going to miss some things. And I kind of like, it was, it was almost a good realization where I just like took a breath and like, it almost felt like a weight coming off the shoulder. Cause I was like, I don't have because because trying to find every beer when it's released because some of these ones especially uh, Satori Harvest and Singularity they often sell out within the day yeah and so if it's like oh I'm at work when all the liquor stores get it and I can't just leave work how am I gonna get so like it I I came to terms with the fact that I'm gonna miss it and you know what I missed last year's Satori Harvest I didn't try it um and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but definitely, you sound, that, it was it was it was the way that you there was the pause and the like. I'm okay with that, but there's a little bit of convincing yourself. Yeah, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. Um, and but definitely, that is sort of. I think I think you're right. I think that there is definitely some amount of hype that is coming from this. However, um, I think I don't know about I can't. I obviously I can't speak for Toronto, but in um, in uh, in Vancouver and in BC, there's starting to be a little bit of kind of maybe encroachment on that territory for Driftwood. Because for the longest time, Driftwood were really the kings of the limited release, the special series beers. Mm-hmm. It was their thing. It was their domain. Um, but there's starting to be like for a long time, the only fresh hop beer you could get in the stores at fresh hop season was Satori Harvest and then it was gone. Right. But now Hoyne Brewing has a, does a fresh hop beer every year. And this year Steamworks Brewery did a fresh hop beer. Really? And the, actually the Steamworks one was really good. A lot of people that I talked to said it was comparable or possibly even better than Satori Harvest this year. That's um, interesting. That, right? that, that is a surprising statement. I know. I know. Because Steamworks isn't the greatest. <laughs> it's it's fine and it's good. I mean, and they just recently opened up, maybe about a year and a half ago, opened up a big production facility out in Burnaby, which I have actually yet to to go to, but that's where they're doing their their beers that are purchased in stores now. And it's I don't I'm not sure who the brewmaster is, but whomever it is, they've got a very talented hand. Interesting. Because they've actually their their distribution is also such that we get a couple of Steamworks beers out here. Um not many, but I think I've seen two different ones of the LCBO at, at various times. And okay. I've always I, I've always had that uh like I'll walk by and go, oh hey, it's uh, Steamworks. And then I'll just walk by and buy something else. Well I actually I have some friends um one of my best friends from Nanaimo was in Europe this fall. They were in, I mean, they, they went to Oktoberfest and he and his, he and his girlfriend, they went to Oktoberfest and they, um, 
they, they also toured around the rest of the other parts of Europe and they were in Austria, I think Austria. And James found Steamworks for sale in Austria. Oh, no way. It was something like a tall bottle, like a, or no, a tall can, a 500 milliliter can was something like 19 euros. Whoa. <laughs> um, if I remember correctly. So it was absurdly expensive. That's... But it's just kind of funny that Steamworks was available in Austria. There is that there's something weird about about traveling and like you run into something that you would never expect. I mean, I know um, my parents years ago were were over in England visiting relatives and um, they happened to go into some like corner store and they had stone brewing there. So they had Arrogant Bastard and they had the stone IPA and I think a couple of other things. And it must have been like someone knew a guy that you know, brought in a couple of cases for them because there was no distribution to my understanding. Like at that time, they did not distribute to Europe. Of course, now they've got the Berlin Brewery open now or opening soon. Um, oh, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. So th- so Stone, this is a, just a side note because I'm a hometown fan. Um, yeah, Stone Brewing is now open. They have a production facility in Virginia now. So they have something on the East Coast to open up distribution across the States um, and hopefully a little bit more into Canada. But uh, they also have now opened up a production brewery in just outside of Berlin. Cool. Um, that's another full restaurant, full um, brewing facility. And, and yeah, that's going to service, I guess, a lot of their European uh, distribution. That's awesome. So, Good yeah, like it's 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 a pretty cool thing. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people there and I'm sure we'll get to it at a future um in a future episode, but the the notion, the varying definition of craft, because I know a lot of people like as Stone and a couple of other, those other big U.S. ones get like bigger and bigger. There starts to be this question of like how craft is craft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that is definitely a topic for another day. Yeah. But um, if I were to surmise my feelings about that, it's drink good beer that you like. Kind of who cares who owns it? That's I'd say it's a pretty good it's a pretty good policy. Okay. So with that. Um, yeah, with, with that, I think we should actually start drinking beer. That sounds pretty good to me. For the, for our listeners, one of the things that we want to do for every uh, episode is feature of several beers. Um, what we, We're going to, to start off with at least, we're going to go with, uh, one, we're going to pick a style for each episode. And we will have one beer that both of us can get being in Vancouver and being in Toronto. And then we'll have one local beer of that same style. Um, I think probably it'd be best. We'll just give a little overview of what the style is, what you, what we should, what you should be looking for in the flavors of, of said beer. Uh, And then we'll kind of rate each, each one. So this week we chose stout, which is being as it's February and it's kind of cold out there. And I mean, it's not raining right now, but stout is a really good cold winter raining beer. Um, and the common beer we chose was cobblestone stout from mill street, which is a brewery in Toronto. Uh, personally, the local brewery I got, the local beer I got was, um, I actually, I got two, but I think we're going to, I think I'm going to go with all out stout from bridge brewing. And John, what did you get for your local one? So for the local, I picked up, um, it's a limited from a a brewery called left field. Um, and it is a, it is actually a marshmallow stout. So I have no idea. I have no idea what that's going to be like. I'm guessing something like a milk stout. Um, but it's a, it's a collaboration that they did actually with a, I'm pretty sure it's a pastry store called Sweet Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah. So That's so it's the it's the Sweet Jesus Mocha Marshmallow Stout. Um, it's a limited release right now. Um, so it it probably won't be around for much longer. Speaking of limiteds and FOMO and all that stuff. Um, but as a result, I I happen to pick up a bottle. So that's what I've got locally. Cool. Um, I just have to source my beers now. Just a sec. Yeah. Go for it. I'm just having, they are being, they are being brought to me by the official podcast helper on my end. Excellent. <laughs> um, Hi, Kaylin. So yeah, the, uh, the, the choice to pick up Mill Street um, was, um, I mean, as, as listeners from Canada will probably know, um, cross provincial distribution of beer is a, a thorny topic and there's, there's so much legislation, there's so much strangeness around it. And, um, 
combined with the fact that I mean, you know, the the explosion of craft beer in the last few years, I feel like my my perception, at least as someone who doesn't work in the industry, is that a lot of places aren't necessarily big enough to start thinking about distribution, you know, beyond the city or the surrounding area that they're in. So when it comes to things that that we can both get our hands on, you know, there are some interesting ones that, you know, every now and again, we get something from Vancouver. Speaking of Driftwood, we just got Fat Tug IPA, which oh, looks like it's going to be a standard now in the LCBO, as far as I can tell. That'll have to be a, uh, maybe, maybe we'll do IPAs next episode. Oh, for sure. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so for this one, I think, you know, we, we stuck with a standard. I mean, Mill Street is, you know, I, since moving to Toronto, um, it ha- holds the perception for me of what, um, what Granville Island kind of is, um, in Vancouver. And I don't think unkindly of Granville Island. I think it's like, it's, it's fine. Uh, a lot of their beer is, is fine, but there's enough going on in Vancouver, um, that, that I usually don't turn to it in the same way that with Toronto, there's usually enough, uh, other beer around that that i'm not really going to reach for a mill street that being said a couple of their beers this is actually one of them that i i have had in the past and quite enjoyed they also make a, a coffee porter uh that comes out once a year um that that i've also quite liked um but i, I haven't actually had this one i think in i want to say about a year and a half so this will be an, a revisiting experience i have tried um the co- the mill street coffee porter but i i don't think i've ever tried this mill street stout in terms of stouts, for the uninitiated, um, stouts are everyone thinks of them as a as a a heavy beer. Guinness being probably the most famous stout in the world. Um, most yeah, most people think of them as a heavy beer. They are actually oftentimes not that heavy. A lot of like if you look at Guinness, it's only four and a half percent alcohol. I think I think it's another of those things where you know for for people because I know I, I definitely had this perception where. Um, before I, I sort of drank beer, um, when I when I first got started, and, and again would would go for something like a Heineken or a Corona, you know, compared to things like that, you know, drinking something that is darker and does have more flavor to it, like there's a there's a perception, I want to say a misperception of the sort of weight or heaviness. Um, yeah, where where it's just flavor like it's just it's yeah. a different i mean yeah there's there's a kind of a different body and mouthfeel to the beer and there's there's definitely more flavor going on than your standard you know north american lager yeah no definitely definitely but yeah so stouts are um i guess some of the it's it's they're darkly colored they're a lot of the flavor profile comes from roast like from roasted the roasted barley and the darkly roasted malts um they're typically not terribly hoppy and usually delicious. Yeah, I'd say I'd say a, a stout was was a, a go to for me for a long time as far as something that um, I think in that early days of once I was starting to shift and like and understand different styles, I, I definitely went through a phase of if there was a stout on the menu, especially there was one that I hadn't tried. It kind of didn't matter the time of year. I was always going to get it because I got I got really into the notion of just being that kind of rich, that darker flavor. Um, yeah, like I, I, I've loved them for years. Yeah, cool. So I guess, so let, let's go with the common beer. Let's try the Mill Street first. All right. Hmm. That's not bad. That's really, I would say a, a decent example of like a standard kind of just stout. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of gets that, you know, um, for me, at least there's a sort of creaminess that comes in up at the front. Um, yep. and then the kind of roasted flavor comes in, uh, further yep. towards the back. Yeah. It's got a really like clean finish too. There isn't a lot of sort of lingering flavor. Um, it just, it, you're absolutely right. It gets, it's creamy. There's a little bit of roasty and then it's kind of gone, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's yeah. Interesting. And I mean, Mill Street is one of the, like, it's funny tasting this. Like I said, I, I don't think I've had this for about a year and a half, I want to say, and it's exactly what I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mill Street does, you know, Mill Street, um, if, if the, for those who don't know, was uh, bought by Labatt last year. So they are another in that line of, you know, they were independently owned. Um, their production is still independent of the larger, um, the larger Labatt brand, um, but they now are part of this larger, um, you know, distribution chain, ownership scheme, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and, and with all the, you know, debate that goes along with it about where they stand now um but like there's a consistency to what they make um which i don't uh 
think is a bad thing. Oh, there's there's definitely there's definitely something to be said for that. And the the like you said, Mill Street is a lot like Granville Island here. Um, and there's there's something to be said for because there's there's still a lot of restaurants in Vancouver that aren't quite on that sort of the craft beer bandwagon. Um, and but they will still have some Granville Island stuff on the menu. And if they've got Granville Island's Amber Ale, it's a good solid beer and I will always enjoy it. So there's definitely something to be said for those kind of beers. Yeah, and and Mill Street definitely falls into that category where um yeah, one I mean I I will get into my complicated feelings about Toronto and beer distribution at another time, but um from where we live, which is sort of midtown Toronto, um there's a surprising sort of lack of, of craft beer. Um, sometimes it feels like outside of the immediate downtown core, um, which is a bit unfair, but certainly in our area, it's, it's hard to find. And yeah, sometimes the best that you can get is, is a mill street or something uh, of that level. But again, like it's not, you know, in, in a pinch, um, it's definitely not a bad beer. And the other thing is, and, and again, I think there is something to be said of like, you know exactly what you're getting. Yep. Yep. So, so on a scale of one to 10, with you, the most, the most you can break down is a half point. What would you rate this Mill Street cobblestone stout? Um, I'm gonna go. I'll be like, I'll go. I'll go solid, like seven out of ten. Um, you know what? I I was thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah, I, like it's not. I mean, I have had many stouts that I have truly loved, um, but like I would easily have this around. Um, you know, as as a sort of backup if there was nothing new out, and like if I was out of inspiration. Um, like I, that's, that sounds like such damning with faint praise. Um, but, but I don't know, like it's, yeah, to me, it's like, it's a perfectly serviceable stout and I think actually fits the style pretty well. Yeah. I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. It also, so from, from the official Toronto side podcast helper, uh, we get a thumbs up for the cobblestone stout as well. <laughs> so it's seven out of 10 and a thumbs up and a thumbs up. Excellent. Um, I, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I would definitely also give it a seven out of 10. Um, it is, it fits the style. Well, it's kind of one of those beers that I probably won't go out and buy a whole bunch of, but I definitely mm-hmm. would not like, it's not in the, Oh God, I'm never buying that again. Yeah. And if I'm just looking for a stout and you know what, if, if somebody asked me what would be a good stout to try, if I've never tried a stout, this is now one I would recommend. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd say it's definitely in that category. And I mean, back to the overall point of the podcast, the nice part about being able to point to and say like, hey, here's a Canadian stout. Um, it's it, it it matches the exact style of like you're not getting into anything uh, in unknown territory. And especially because stouts do have that that breadth of sort of substyles of your Imperials, your Russian Imperials. On the other side, your milk stouts. You know, there's, there's a lot of range within it. And so being there able is. to point to something and like this is sort of quintessential. Like this fits that that kind of broad definition of, of what you think of as a stout. Cool. Do you want to do your individual stout now? Sure. So I am pouring it now. Oh man, that's really good. Yep. <laughs> um, it's um, I mean, compared with the Mill Street, it's it's a lot um, sort of more roasty. Um, there's not as much sweetness as I actually would have expected from something that sells itself as as mocha marshmallow stout. Yeah. Um, it's funny, actually, I saw a, a picture, I want to say on Instagram, from the brewery. And when you get it at the brewery, they serve it with a toasted marshmallow in it. Oh, that sounds delicious. Um, which, yeah, is one of those things that, like, is definitely gimmicky, but, like, it looked great. So, like, I certainly wouldn't have complained. But, yeah, I mean, you definitely get that sort of dark, really roasty flavor. And it kind of hits you right up front. Like, there's a there's a strength to it that's probably also coming from the, from the chocolate, like, from the cocoa that... I, I mean, it's mocha, so I'm going to go ahead and assume that there's cocoa involved in the brewing at some point. Um, you get that much more upfront compared to the the cobblestone, which is that sort of very that kind of creamier, lighter flavor. This hits you right up front with a sort of dark and heavy, and it carries through for a long time. And it does have that sort of, like you were saying, the cobblestone has the sort of cleaner finish. This yeah. definitely has that sort of. I never know how to describe it. Like I don't. I again as a. As an amateur in, in many ways, um, the describing mouthfeel is something that is lost on me. But definitely it has that sort of more like stickier coating feel yeah. when you have it that, that kind of lingers. Um, but it is very nice. 
Um, do cool. I hold up now? Do should I hold off on the rating until you go for yours? No, you can rate yours. I mean, I'm I'm easily going like eight and a half out of ten on this. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm going. Like I I wish that this was not a limited beer. Um, oh wow! Having one, I I would easily have more. Awesome. All right. Well, I that's that I think is going to be a tough act to follow. Um, so I have got Bridge Brewing from North Vancouver, British Columbia's All Out Stout. And I believe that this is a year-round option for them. Um, uh, it says, the, the label, pretty simple, just says, Brewed with <clears throat> North Shore Water, Willamette Hops, Canadian Pilsner Malt, Crystal 80 Malt, Cara Munich Malt, Chocolate malt, flaked oats, roasted barley, and yeast. So, I mean, the Pilsner malt and the Cara Munich malt are going to be a lot of very much just the uh, the base malts. And then the Crystal, Crystal 80 is pretty dark. The chocolate malt is very dark. The flaked oats is just going to be for added uh, mouthfeel, basically, to add some of that creaminess. And then the roasted barley, again, is going to be really dark. So this is going to – I'm expecting a fairly dark flavor. Mm, it's not bad. I don't. I. I definitely don't think that I got the. I got a beer that's as good as yours. <laughs> um, this one's. It's good. It's a little bit. It's a little bit sweeter than the cobblestone. It's a little bit crisper as well. There's definitely more hop, um, sort of nature to this. So it's a little bit more bitter. It link the flavor again, similar to what you said to, to yours. The flavor lingers a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's decent. I would say I would give that maybe a six out of ten, um, okay. which is good beer. I would say is good beer, but probably not one I'm going to seek out. Yeah, it's 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 passable. Yep. yep. Now, what yep. is the? That is a good question. What is the what is the tipping point rating of a pour out beer? Is that is that actually a one out of ten, or do you when it hits like the four, do you say like I would just as soon not finish this? I would say for me, I think that for me, I think that about three would be about a pour out. Because mm-hmm. there's some beers that are like, I mean, <laughs> um, I am I have argued with people before that there's a time and a place for just about any beer. Um, some that some for some beers, the time and a place is a lot more limited than others. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, that was the argument when we were in San Diego for your wedding when we were at the pool and I was drinking Bud Light Lime. <laughs> I've, I've never been more embarrassed. I almost rescinded the invite. But I figured you'd come all that way. I wasn't going yeah. to trip you up at the 11th hour. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, um, the, there's a time and a place for just about any beer. And sunny, you know, sun, sunny day hanging out in the backyard pool. Bud Light Lime is called for that. <laughs> I think you have you have a much more charitable view, uh, I think, than I do. Um, but, uh, and then, well, I, I should say, I mean, everyone's got theirs. Like, I, I definitely know people, you know, family and friends who just don't, like, beer is not their thing. And you know what? Perfectly fine. Like, you find what's yours and you like it and you enjoy it. And, like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to chastise someone for that, you know, for, for finding that. Um, that's exactly, yeah that's that that's yeah i, yeah. I feel this like for myself like i've got i have become a, a nerd about this sort of stuff um so like i know where my standards lie but they only apply to me as far as i'm concerned i would i would 100 percent agree with that yeah uh, which which is also i mean i guess a larger point like why why i like the idea of this podcast in the sense of getting to explore the sort of different tastes and the different styles especially when it comes to different parts of the country. I mean, right now, you know, we're, we're on, we're in Vancouver and Toronto. Like I'm hoping at some point to be able to get out to some other places beyond Toronto and bring back representation of, of beer from there. Um, so you, you mean places actually in the ocean? Uh, yes. Yeah. Like I just go straight East and then there's just a cliff and then water. Yeah. Yeah. As far so. as I understand, that's, that's, <laughs> I, I've never left the city. I'll be honest. Like once you get to the center of the universe, why would you ever leave? Yeah. So back to the, yeah, back to the, the pour out, um, I think that a beer has to be for me to like pour out of beer. It's got to be really something that just doesn't agree with me. Yeah, I've I've had a handful. Like nothing comes to mind immediately, but yeah, like it's got to be something. I'll I'll push through a lot of different types of beer 
And and I, I feel like I'm I'm fairly I give a lot of leeway, especially if it's the first time I'm trying a brewery or or a beer from that brewery. Um like first time with that style from them. But there are some that yeah, you just hit and it's like, you know what, this not this this is where the paths diverge and, and it goes alone from here. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um cool. well I think that, that brings us to about the end of episode one. I um, think so, yeah. I guess this is a good question. We probably should discuss this beforehand. Um, I was going to drop in some plugs to some of the things that by the time this releases, I will hopefully have finished. Um, and so there will be places on the internet for people to go and see more about what we're about. There you go. Um, so uh, the website is hoppynight.ca. Uh, you can go there for all your podcasting needs. Um, we'll probably throw together some some basic notes on... Uh, on our ratings, on the beers we tried, things like that. Hopefully, you know, build up a collection over time of, of the things that we cover on the podcast. Um, we've got, uh, what else did I get up to this afternoon? We've got a Twitter account. It's Hoppy Night CA. There are right now zero tweets and we follow zero people. So <laughs> maybe by the time you, dear listener, listen to this, uh, there'll be more going on there. But for the moment, we do have one uh, and it's basically a parking lot for later. I think that's about it. We have an email. It's hoppynightincanada at gmail.com. Um, so if you have any feedback, um, preferably good, you know, we like we, we would like to hear nice things about us. It is it is the first episode, so at least give us a little bit of leeway before you tell us we're awful. It's true. Yeah, we got we to gotta find our footing. But yeah, so uh, I think that about covers it. it um, I think so too. So, so we'll be back in a couple weeks, at which point we'll figure out what style to cover next. Uh, we'll have some new topics, some new things to uh, to discuss about the, the world of Canadian beer. Uh, yep. And I look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Cheers.